0: Hello and welcome to The Stock Podcast. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. In this episode, The Stock Podcast is really excited to bring you an interview with Sandstorm Gold Royalties CEO Nolan Watson on the program. I've been trying to get a gold company on the podcast for quite a while now. But Sandstorm flew completely under my radar until a listener suggested I reach out to this company, and man am I glad that he did. Nolan was a fantastic guest, and his company's investment story is truly compelling. Sandstorm Gold is a, well it's a gold royalty business, as the name indicates. I'm sure that a lot of people think of mining whenever they hear the word gold, but Sandstorm isn't involved in the physical extraction of precious metals, but rather Sandstorm helps finance mining operations in exchange for a royalty interest and the precious metals that the mining company produces. It's a really interesting business model, so again, I'm super pumped to release this episode. Just really quickly on the financials, Sandstorm has a market cap of about $1 billion, $26 million in cash and short-term investments, and $44 million in debt. And that puts the enterprise value at almost exactly $1 billion. Well, without further ado, let's get to the interview with the CEO of Sandstorm Gold Royalties, Nolan Watson. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you coming on and um, I'm really excited to talk about your company. But before we get to your company, could you provide listeners with just a little bit of your background?
1: Yeah, my background, uh, born and raised here in Canada, and and uh, went through business school out at the University of British Columbia, graduated with, with honors with a BCom there, and then decided right away it would be a good idea to go in and, and do an accounting designation. And I went through my CPA program, finished first out of a thousand people in Western Canada on a 13-hour <clears throat> final exam, got a go- got a gold medal in accounting, and then decided I hated accounting, so I quit. <laughs> and uh, went into finance and did a CFA. And then I've, I've been in the mining industry basically my entire career, even right out of university when I was articling to be a CPA. I was the mining guy in the firm and traveling the world and auditing and, and visiting mines. And as soon as I moved on from that job, got hired by a company called Goldcorp, which uh, was at one point in time the world's second largest gold mining company in the world. And uh, they just got bought out actually a couple months ago here and are now part of the world's largest gold mining company and so i worked with them for a number of years and then moved into a company called silver wheaton which is now called wheaton precious metals i was our first employee we grew that to about a five billion dollar market capitalization i was i was our chief financial officer and actually in that in that process uh, still hold the world record today for being the youngest chief financial officer of any multi-billion dollar new york stock exchange listed company in the world and then I decided to go be an entrepreneur and I left that job and, and went and started up uh, Sandstorm and been running Sandstorm as president and CEO for over nine years now. And we grown it up to a billion dollar market cap and continuing to grow. It's been a lot of fun.
0: How old were you whenever you
1: were the CFO? I was 26 years old. And uh, to put it in perspective, you don't qualify to be a CPA until you're 25. So I had, I had been professionally received my designation and had it for an entire year before I became CFO of a multi-billion dollar company. It was pretty pretty daunting. I did a pretty good job of pretending like I knew what I was doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Could you talk just a little bit more about Sandstorm, about the history and and the business model?
1: Yeah, so the business model is one that's been around for a while. Kind of the first company that really brought in streaming in the world was a company called Silver which is the company I was CFO of, and they focused primarily on this, what you'd call silver streaming. So. You'd go to either a silver mine or a base metal mine, say maybe a a lead zinc mine that is producing silver as a byproduct, and you would say, we'll give you money today up front, and you can use that money to build your mine, or you could use it to buy another mine, or you could use it to pay down debt. Use use the money for whatever you want, and we'll give it to you today, and what we want in return is a contract that allows us to purchase a certain percentage of the silver you're going to produce for the entire life of the mine and we're going to buy it at a fixed artificially low number so back then silver was trading uh, below ten dollars an ounce and we said we'll buy your silver at four dollars an ounce and uh we'll sell it at whatever the market price is and we know the price of silver is going to be more than four dollars an ounce and so do you and that's the reason we're making this upfront payment to you it's sort of this upfront payment is the present value of of your expected future profits from that silver stream we are taking And we went around and we did a number of those deals with mines around the world. And all of a sudden, what we had effectively created was a silver mining company that had profit payoff like a silver mining company. You know, if silver prices went up, we made more money. If silver prices went down, we made less money. If there was expiration upside at the mines, we made more money. Uh, But what we found very quickly is that we had two key benefits that a lot of the, the silver mining and other mining companies in the world didn't have. The first is that we had fixed our exposure in terms of what the operating costs were, meaning we were buying at $4 an ounce, and we knew it was going to be $4 an ounce, whereas most mining companies in the world are absolutely notorious at overrunning on what their expected costs are. So gold companies, for example, are notorious at saying, it's going to cost me $800 an ounce to produce gold, and then when they actually turn the mine on, it costs them $1,200 an ounce to produce gold, and all of a sudden they're not making any money, and everyone who invested in that gold company Uh, loses money when the share price drops precipitously. And so we had effectively taken that risk out of the business. And then the second key difference is that we were able to diversify much more quickly. And so generalist investors around the world started realizing, hey, if you want to invest in a mining company, specifically at the time when when I was at Silver Wheaton, if you want to invest in a silver company, you definitely want to do it into this silver streaming company because they're more diversified than a normal mining company and they don't have the risk of cost overruns and so it was the type of business model that had a lot of appeal and so the reason I left to start up Sandstorm was to create a company from scratch from ground zero that did that and focused on gold and so Sandstorm is effectively a company that just does gold streaming and we also buy gold royalties so the difference between a stream and a royalty is in a stream there's that ongoing payment per ounce that's fixed so in gold it's usually around four or five hundred dollars an ounce for us Whereas a royalty, you're just getting the ounce for free and or they're just giving you an amount of cash as they mine their mine that's equal to your percentage of their revenue that you're entitled to. So, for example, if you're entitled to 2% of the revenue, at the end of every quarter, they'll figure out what the revenue was at the mine and they'll just cut you a check for 2% of it. And so that's what we do at Sandstorm now. We've built up a company with 189 streams and royalties around the world. We've got cash flow coming in from all corners of the earth, and we're continuing to grow and diversify the business. Because
0: you had that experience with silver, why did you choose gold?
1: Well, we got into a point in the business at Silver Wheaton where we had either done a deal with or been told no by the company for virtually every major source of silver production in the entire world. And so we're sitting there going, well, there aren't a lot of silver streams out there left to do deals on. And I'm a fairly impatient person and, and wanted to grow into a, a bigger space. And so I left to start one up in gold and have been growing it ever since.
0: Yeah. And so do you have exposure to more commodities than or precious metals than just gold? So Sandstorm
1: today is about 80% precious metals. The vast majority of that is gold. We do have a little bit of silver. And then we've got about 20% of our revenue comes from streams or royalties on base metal projects. The majority of that other 20% is uh, copper from a couple of copper mines around the world.
0: I see. And what about location? Where are your different streams and royalties located?
1: Yeah, that's one of the great benefits of a business model like this is you get to diversify very quickly. So we are all over the world. We've got a significant number of our assets in Canada, the United States, or Mexico. Brazil, Argentina, we're in West Africa, South Africa, uh, Turkey, Australia, Europe, and uh, we're continuing to look, even in Asia, we're looking all across the world. In fact, if you if you look not only at the deals that we've already done and the streams royalties we own, but also the things that we're looking at acquiring actively, you'll just see that it's kind of spread out amongst the whole world. And, and that's an important aspect of our businesses because I'm a firm believer that any political party or any Ruling government in any country can go crazy for short periods of time, and the best way to defend against that is just to be spread out amongst the whole world. Now, if you're a mining company, it's hard to do that because you got to spend a lot of time, effort, and emotional energy trying to manage the politics of the country that you're in, because you have to be on the ground every day managing that situation, and so you only want to be in a few jurisdictions because you just you don't have the ability to manage the politics. Um, as as the management team of more than a few countries. Whereas at Sandstorm, because we're a royalty company, we're, we're literally just collecting checks from these countries that we can be diversified across the entire world and we really don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about it other than on the day we make the initial investment decision.
0: You know, for somebody who knows nothing about royalties and, and streaming royalties, could you walk me through just sort of the the process from, you know, Conception, so let's just say that you're interested in a development project in some country that you're maybe not familiar with, the political and financial regime walk me through just the process of how you grow your portfolio and roll a new asset into the portfolio from, you know, idea or whether or not it's, you know, somebody that you know in the business who told you about this really great new asset and then how you move down the road and ultimately acquire that asset.
1: Yeah. So at Sandstorm, we've got a large corporate development team. And uh, although there still are thousands of a development stage mines around the world, we have looked at uh, probably the majority of those development assets between someone on our team. So it's very rare that someone comes to us and said, hey, there's this cool new mine and you've never heard about it. Almost certainly someone on our team knows about it. But when someone does come to us and says, hey, we're about to go build a mine, we need, pick a number, $200 million. And we're going to go raise some equity to do that. We're going to take on uh, some project some equipment financing so we'll we'll do equipment financing for all of our trucks and mobile equipment and we need some other either debt or a stream financing for 50 to 100 billion dollars And once we do all that financing we'll have enough money we'll go build our mine so we'll start talking to them at that phase about preliminary looks at their technical data so we'll look at, at some of their drilling data at a sort of superficial level we'll look at some of their engineering data at a superficial level and we'll just say just based solely on a high level review if the data holds up when we do further due diligence later, which we are going to do, then these are the types of terms we'd be prepared to give you. So if we're gonna give you a hundred million, we want X percent of your gold production for the life of your mine, and we'll pay you pick a number, five hundred dollars an ounce. And so we'll deal with them at a business level. And if they go, you know what, actually that deal sounds good for us. We like the broad terms, it's One of the reasons they would do it instead of borrowing money is that we're a lot more flexible and reasonable and understanding. We're a lot more patient capital. We understand the business better than the banks do. And so when there are delays or things that are happening during the construction process, we don't yank their loan from them. We stand behind them and help them. And and we're a lot more reasonable. So if they come to us and they say, yes, let's do that. We say, okay, well, let's sign a a confidentiality agreement. We're going to dig into your data substantially. And then we'll go put several hundred, if not thousands of man hours into the technical due diligence of completely recreating all of their, their resource estimates. And what that means, if you're not in the mining industry, it means we take all of their drill data and, uh, we, we plot it all back up. We'll put it into computer software programs ourselves and we'll create our own estimate of how much gold that we think is there in the ground. And then we have our own underground mining engineers who will actually look at, at that data and those models we create and say, yeah, is, are they going to be able to mine this effectively and efficiently and, and cost effectively? And then we have metallurgists who will go in and say, okay, if they crush up the rock and they start trying to extract the gold, is the gold actually going to come out of the rock? Because that's actually one of the main ways that investors lose money investing in gold mines is, yep, there's lots of gold there, but when you crush up the rock just chemically, you can't get the gold out. It likes to stick to the mineral and you, and you can't separate the gold out and it becomes too expensive to do so. You lose money and all your investors lose money. So we have to go through all of those steps evaluating it and then when we do, if it passes all those checks, we we negotiate the definitive contracts and agreements and eventually hand over $100 billion and we own a stream and we go on looking for the next stream to buy and we just keep on going buying streams and royalties.
0: Could you talk about just the pros and cons of the different types of royalties and streams?
1: Broadly speaking, there are kind of three different classes of streams or royalties.
0: like to continue listening to this interview you'll need to become a member to become a member just visit thestockpodcast.com members have access to all full-length episodes and depending on the membership that you purchase you can even have access to the transcripts so just go to the website thestockpodcast.com and click membership at the top also if you really enjoyed the music you should check out danheim that's d-a-n-h-e-i-m Mike at Danheim gave me permission to use the music for the podcast, and so a huge thanks to Danheim. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.